I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a lot to learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. I have no idea what time it is because this is a podcast and you're listening to it whenever you may be listening. We have got a very exciting one today. Sean Kilichend, the founder and CEO of EduSync. Yes, sir. EduSync, a Brazilian-based English as a foreign language digital platform. Pairs students and teachers together, assesses performance, uh, tell us a little bit about how you decided to found such a very specific company and become an entrepreneur in such a very specific space. Sure. So, well, first of well, all, first thanks of all, for having me today. Absolutely. I'm uh, excited to take part in this um, and tell you more about my story. Awesome. So, um, I guess starting back at the beginning, um, you know, I've been, I was born and raised in New York, um, half Indian and uh, half American. Mom's from Brooklyn, dad's from Mumbai. So I'd always been exposed to this kind of other side of the world, outside the bubble that is Manhattan. Um, but even so, 90s kid growing up in New York, my dream was to be an investment banker. And um, I managed to, to get a job at an investment bank, only to lose it four months afterwards. <laughs> and, uh, you know, classic case of uh, investment bank dreaming, I guess. And um, it was a nice entry into the professional world. It was like three months after I graduated. And then um, about a year later, uh, an opportunity came up to move to Brazil. Um, at the time, uh, you know, Brazil was on the cover of the economist, the economy was blowing up and, um, you know, my father actually had an idea to bring these low cost tablets from India to Brazil. I don't know if you remember a few years ago when tablets were first coming on the map, there was this big project there called one tablet per child. Uh, no, I don't, but there were, there were many of them. There was, yeah, there was that, uh, that a crank up laptop project yeah. in Africa and Correct. stuff like that. Yeah. So this is around the same time. Um, all of these low cost, high quality educational devices focused on education. Right. So India was at the forefront of this, you know, they have the, the technology there for these low cost tablets. And the idea was to bring them to Brazil. Um, Brazil is similar demographically to India, a much smaller population, but still 220 million people. Um, half the country is 25 years of age or younger. So there's a massive, massive student population there. Um, about 50 million students in total. Um, so the original idea was was that, sell these low-cost tablets from India to Brazil. So I moved down there with no Portuguese or any idea of what I was getting myself into and quickly learned that English is not their forte. Um, mm-hmm. I think the official government statistic is 3% of the entire country actually speaks English conversationally. Which is uh, completely... Uh, contrary to like, I mean, I don't know what the stats are on European populations, but it's right. going to be higher. Yeah. Uh, India, in India, at least English is partially a legal language. So yep. you've got, in, and even, you know, in the places I've traveled in the world, you know, you could go to Indonesia and Malaysia and you can get by with English, right. but not Brazil. Not Brazil. Down there, um, I guess a really good example of this, I remember trying to change my flight uh, within the first week or two of being down there. And it was a 45-minute long conversation on the phone, just trying to change from a window seat to an aisle seat. 
So even these kinds of things, and this is with the Brazilian side of American Airlines. For right. Instance. So even at companies where you would imagine the English proficiency would be there, it just isn't. Um, and even in countries, you know, Eastern European countries or European countries in general, and, and in Asia, you have these executives uh, at companies, big national companies, uh, you know, grossing millions of dollars in revenue a year who speak English. They can conduct meetings in English. Yes. But in Brazil, it's not the case. Um, so mm. numerous times I would go to meetings for the tablet company and I would be pitching in English or speaking in English and everyone smiles and nods. Even when I ask, does everyone understand English? And they say yes. But then there'd be no questions, no follow-up and the, the business relationship would die without ever progressing just because of this lack of proficiency. So it was a very interesting learning experience uh, me having to learn Portuguese from scratch and also finally realizing that in these places in the world, outside of these circles I've been running in my whole life, English is the key to everything from business to academic success, <laughs> excuse me, and beyond. So it's really become a, a very important factor in these growth economies and allowing both students and professionals to kind of get to the next level. So here, uh, might I... Uh I don't want to venture too far, but might I assume that the uh, the tablet business did not work out? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> that was. Uh... I'm, I'm judging. I'm judging from. I'm judging from the narrative arc right here. Yes, because I heard a dot dot dot, and yes. uh, I want to. I just want to finish up with the dot dot dot. Yes, yes. Sorry to, to have uh, gone off on that tangent, but no, no, uh... no, 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 no. This is this is part of the story. Right. I just, I just want you to the end of this end the story. Yes. So, um, but yes. Yeah, so what ha- ended up happening was. We had about two years of life with the tablet company, moderately successful, in fact. We grossed close to a million bucks in revenue in the second year, Mm -hmm. and uh, then the economy collapsed in Brazil. Okay. It's massive corruption scandal, budget cuts across the board, specifically in education as well. So it really ended up putting the kibosh on the whole thing. Right. Um, But from the ashes of that rose the phoenix that is now Edgesync, as I like to say. Right. So what uh, what was the epiphany, the aha moment where you're like, you know what? I, I see a vulnerability. I see a, something to exploit. I see, you know, a, a, a segment of the market where I can actually go in and, you know, move. Right. So, you know, I'd been learning about this English language training space as I was down there because I was exploring ways to learn Portuguese. So there are a ton of different apps. You know, Duolingo is one of the big, the big ticket ones. Um, there are a number of other ones. Rosetta Stone is very well known as well. Um, and I even was entertaining the idea of doing physical classes. Um, what ended up happening was with the tablet company, we closed a deal with one of the big English schools down in Brazil. So this market in Brazil is very interesting. So there are 19,000 physical locations. You can go to learn English in Brazil, which is ironic considering the fluency is only 3%. I 19,000. Is that a lot or a little? I I can't comparatively. It's a lot to a lot of other countries. Well, yeah. What there's like how many, like, okay, how many Subway sandwich locations are there in <laughs> the United a- States? Hold on, let's do it. Number, number, of, sum, number of Subways in, uh, in, in the U.S., and we could give a... Uh, it's a good barometer, We could give a good barometer on it. What, 19,000? Because the United States and Brazil, uh, similar in population by, you know, 100 million or so, yep. but similar in size. Yep. You know, there's a lot of similarities between the United States and Brazil. Absolutely. I mean, also... Similar in linguistic homogeneity. I yes. mean, Americans think, you know, paranoid Americans think 30% of the country is, uh, speaks Arabic and it's literally <laughs> right. like 0.1%. Right. And they think like 90% of the country speaks Spanish. And I believe it's something along the lines of like 8%, right? right. But we, you know, 87% English speaking, yep. right? Correct. 
there are right. 26,744 Subway restaurants in the United States. Wow. So let's extrapolate that from a 220-person population to a 340-million-person population. There is an equivalent amount <laughs> per capita right. of english speak language learning uh, institutions Correct. in Brazil as there are Subway sandwich shops in America. That's absolutely right. <laughs> wow. Yet yeah. the penetration of English proficiency is only 3%. Correct. Why? This is an interesting question. I think it uh, primarily has to do with the culture of, of Brazil. Um, you know, historically speaking, the country has been very internal. They haven't really been looking outwards. It's one of the most naturally resource-rich countries in the world. It was an empire. It was there an empire. Was literally the Brazilian empire. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it's only been... And the country's a very young democracy. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was 85 or 86 that they actually put an end to the military dictatorship and truly became an outward-looking democracy. Right. So, over the course of the last 30 years, you know, they've tried to implement change, but obviously problems with the political system and rampant corruption and these kinds of things have kind of plagued the system. And the focus has not been on education as much as it's been on the consumer, actually, at the end of the day. Yeah. So that's been driving the whole, the whole country is this consumer mentality. I think the official statistic is that Brazil is now number one per capita in terms of money spent on plastic surgery. It's now overtaken the states, I believe, to be the case. Oh, I, I, South Korea might want to argue on that because <laughs> I, so, right. I know there's something going on there. We, well, that's another episode. We'll have to get into South Korean plastic surgery. Right. Um, it, uh, so, uh, really, so just being inwardly focused automatically translates into being consumer focused. Well, I think both of them are kind of tied into one another. I think the Brazilian person, so I guess in I guess the best way to describe this is in relation to India because I'm most familiar with the Indian okay. population. So, um, there's a very famous photograph of these two Indian young Indian boys on a motorcycle and I think the helmet of the guy driving or the kid driving the motorcycle has a Microsoft sticker on it. So, you know, they're looking up to Bill Gates and the founders of these Indian outsourcing firms. Um, whereas the people in Brazil are looking up to the musicians and the athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and having been, being a very young democracy, and uh, you know, they're very, the, I guess the relationship with plastic surgery also has to do with the fact that they're very, uh, not to sound strange saying this, but they're kind of a conceited people. They're very concerned with how they look and their appearance, mm-hmm. and less concerned with uh, actually educating themselves and their kids. So whereas an Indian family in, in a village might put together two thirds of their income and spend it on the kid's education. The Brazilian family will do that and spend it on clothes and makeup and, you know, ways to make the family seem like it's more attractive than actually training the students and educating them. So those 19,000 English learning locations have no customers. There's actually, uh, there's actually a really interesting thing that goes on there and they call it uh, English from the school. So Escology or Inglés da Escola is how they pronounce it, is how they say it. Which literally translates to, I take English classes, but I don't actually speak English. So it's more to make it look like they're learning. Even and, that is a product of, it's, it's a keep culture. up with the Johnsons, yeah, you know, exactly. or the Joneses or whatever. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 I take English classes. Do you learn? Exactly. No, 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 but I take them. <laughs> exactly. You know? So it's more uh, keeping up the image than it is actually learning the language. Right. Like, it's like, uh, are you, <laughs> you know, the New York athletic club on 57th street, right? Absolutely. Like, I'm a member of the New York athletic club. <laughs> oh, do you work out there? No, no I go there for the pub room <laughs> on the second floor where sometimes fights break out exactly. amongst 50 year old men. Yes. So there we go. Exactly. Uh, 
I'm never getting invited back to New York <laughs> Athletic Club. Also, by the way, uh, they made me, it's still a place that you can't wear jeans in. So, right. you know, screw you, New York. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yes, it's very similar. And I, I guess I see this in America a lot too. It's not, you know, America's a very consumer culture. Everyone's obsessed with Instagram and social media. And right. it's not unlike that in Brazil. I think, uh, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but I think Brazil has one of the top three uh, in terms of country rankings on Facebook, in terms of amount of posts, I think they rank top three in the world. Like every four seconds, just yeah. you know, just another picture of their food or their pants or their shoes or something like that. But no one's really thinking about investing money in education to improve their children's ability to get outside of the country and make more money. So now you've um, now you've you've recognized this and you start you found EduSync. You've got an uphill battle to challenge here. Yeah, it's been an interesting experience selling it to Brazil. Um, the other part of this is, as an American, you know, my work culture is very you know direct, um, which is not how things are done there. So as is the case in most growth economies, and especially in Latam. So I end up having multiple coffees, dinners. I learn about the person's entire family and their entire relationship with the United States over the course of the last 15 years before I can actually get them to say no to the deal or yes to the deal. So this causes obviously a lot of problems in terms of time wasted. Right. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a learning experience. So at this point, you know, I do all my initial calls on Skype <laughs> just to kind of avoid this problem. And um, we've actually been looking outwards for Brazil too. So while the core team is based there, you know, we have all the developers based there as well. Uh, we're actually now selling into Egypt, Vietnam, India. So that part of the world is much more uh, into, I guess, culturally speaking, English language education and learning is much more, uh, they pay a lot more for it there and they're much more into it there than they are in Latin. Well, then, then let's, we, we've, we've talked about why, but we haven't talked about the how. How does EduSync work? Right. You know, tell me, the start to finish, it partners students and teachers, correct? Correct. Yeah. And uh, how's, what's the mechanism? So there are a couple things at work here. So um, going back to the story about how this whole thing came about, um, we closed a deal with the tablet company with one of these English language schools in Brazil. And during the course of, that, of executing that project on the ground, I came across these English tests that they consider high stakes exams. So for students who are looking to study abroad or even get a job at Ernst & Young or one of these multinationals and even now national companies, they have to take a test to showcase their proficiency in English. Right. Just because they'll be facing speaking to Westerners primarily. So this led me to think, you know, what if we start doing this with software? A lot of the problems that plague the English schools there also plague the, Amer the education system here in the States. Low quality teachers, no access to resources, expensive resources, and lack of individualization, right? They call it batch training. So you have 25 students in a room, one teacher. How can the teacher possibly know where each of the problems lie with each student? So the idea was to solve this with software. Right. So we do actual testing of the students' English levels, and we do this with mock tests focused on some of the big exams, like TOEFL and IELTS, the two biggest. They have corporate tests as well. And then we also offer training around the test that adapts to the student as they do it. So this is a big, uh, a big buzz term in, in uh, the education world, which is adaptive training, which basically means the more you use the software, the more it learns about you and feeds you questions. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have enough data sets to understand where your weaknesses are. Yeah, exactly. So it is layered with technology in that sense and a, a little bit of AI, if you will. Um, and then the real crux of the platform, though, is the speaking and writing piece. So this was proven to be one of the most difficult areas for students to actually progress in and for schools to assess. 
So the way this was being done in Brazil that we noticed, uh, teachers were actually having their students send them voice notes on WhatsApp, and they would actually take these and then evaluate their speaking level based on this. This turned out to be obviously a huge pain, hours spent trying to listen to these voice notes, download them, organize them. It was a big problem. All each on each individual chat, yada, yada, yada. Exactly. So this, um, this was very apparent early on when we were speaking to schools and, and teachers and even students. So the idea was for us to basically outsource that process or for them to outsource it to us. So we have a back end, actually primarily based in India, of 200 certified professors who will actually receive the speaking and writing submissions of students, evaluate them, and then the student gets a full-fledged report saying he needs to work on this skill, that skill, and then some guidance as to how to do that. So that's really the, the combination of tech and the teacher. And, and hands-on. And hands-on. Wow, that is really remarkable. So you aggregate all of these students' uh, uploads, in, in essence, yeah. and then you have accredited teachers on the other end be like, bing, bang, boom, here's where you stand. Correct. And now we can build a data set, and you can personally grow. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. And you know, one of the things we realized early on um, from speaking to schools and to educators, and I guess this is kind of... This also is this is a similar situation in the states. A lot of teachers are inherently worried that tech is going to replace their jobs. So the, you're you're enhancing their job. That's exactly that's the pitch. That's the classroom exactly experience is going to be enhanced by the student working offline. Correct. Well, actually online, but working outside of the classroom. Exactly. Uh, wow, that's a <laughs> that's, that's really cool. I think I appreciate. it. <laughs> I'm super impressed. <laughs> um, and what's 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 the revenue model? How do you because you are a businessman, you are an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Where does where does this come from without being exploitative? Because obviously you've got the dual mission of I'm founding a business, but the also you you seem to really want to do good. You know? Yeah, I mean, this is the I guess the perks of being in this line of work is that you know we get feedback all the time from students who say. Thanks to you guys, I got into school in the States, or thanks to you guys, I got this job in Brazil, and now my life is, my revenues increased 3x overnight. So, but the revenue model is, is pretty simple. So, you know, when a student is taking a prep course for one of these tests, they'll do a mock test during the course of that, uh, during that course. Sometimes they do more than one. In Asia and Southeast Asia, they'll do like four to eight over the course of two months. Right. Um, the mock test just being practice for the test. So for schools, we actually just sell them bundles of tests. So if they have 1,000 students a year in their prep courses, they'll buy one test per student over the course of the year. And then we have the whole system to orchestrate them deploying those and seeing the scores and you know, facilitating the whole, the whole process of actually grading the students' mock tests and improving their, their scores. Right. So that's really, you know, we work with schools. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We also work with end users. So we launched at the end of last year, and as to date, we have over 100,000 users around the world in 203 countries. Yep. Um, I like to say we have more users, we have more countries on the platform than there are countries that serve Heineken, for instance. <laughs> so um, it's very cool in that sense. And um, students go on the platform, there's a large free component, they can just do practice questions for reading and listening. And then if they want to actually have their English assessed by one of our teachers, they'll pay us 30 bucks. And then we do, they can buy a mock test for any of the exams. And we actually score it and give them feedback with the full report. Right. So there is, this is, yeah, this is not uh, vaporware. You're actually getting banged for the buck because you're getting evaluated by a real life teacher. Correct. Uh, and if you, if you desire to improve yourself, well, you know, that's a pretty affordable way to do it. Yeah. And you know, the test actually, the actual exam for the TOEFL, for instance, is 210 USD. So for a Brazilian student, you know, the exchange rate is now four to one, 4.1 to one. Mm. So for a Brazilian middle-class student, they have one shot. Their parents are most likely never left Brazil or never Mm. studied abroad or worked at a multinational. And the ambitious students are the ones who are asking their parents to purchase software to help them prep for these tests. Right. So if they do the test once, they don't get the score they need. They're not getting a second chance. So the idea is to give them a platform that actually shows them, are you ready to take the test? Is it worth the investment now? Before you, you know, you right, know. right. So you can, you can, you can spend your time alone getting ready to go, and exactly. then let's let's really do it. Um, how other other than the um, what what demographic challenges are there in Brazil to to increase this English uh, this English penetration? And you know, is there uh, is there an inherent fear in the culture of like? Anglicization, you know? This is an interesting question. I think um, there is. You know, I've been living there for five and a half years, and I I spent two years in Rio, two years in Sao Paulo, and uh, about a year and a half in the south of the country in a city called Curitiba. And um, I think, by and large, even though most of the software and consumer goods that they're purchasing are either American brands or American tech, Whenever I meet someone and they find out that I'm American, it's not exactly the best reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, you know, I kind of get by with my Portuguese and being either from Portugal because I have a weird accent <laughs> or, or just not from Brazil, but familiar enough that I can get by. But um, it's interesting because I have, this, I have this conversation with my business partner all the time about how um, all the Brazilians are using the American products that were made, I mean, globally spread. But when they actually meet a real-life American they're very standoffish. So I think it's an interesting dichotomy. But by and large, you know, there's a large number of, of expats down there, especially in Sao Paulo. Business community is there. Um, gringo entrepreneurship is picking up now. So I have a number of American friends, even European friends who've moved down there to start companies um, in varying industries from education to uh, you know, true social impact. I have a friend who has a couple hostels in one of the favelas in Rio, this guy from Denver. So it's really widespread. And I think that, um, you know, in a sense, it's, it's a big opportunity for Americans, particularly who are familiar with the VC culture and entrepreneurship to go down there and really try to make a name for themselves. So I spoke recently to a uh, venture capitalist based in uh, Singapore, and he brought up a really uh, eye-opening point, which was um, we being New Yorkers, Growing up in the 80s and 90s, we went from desktop computer 
to dial-up modem to when we got to college, we got our first one with high-speed internet to laptop to mobile device. Right. Southeast Asia is mobile native. Right. Their first computer was the computer in their hand that we all have in our pockets right now. Whereas, you know, I'm sure you and I are of similar age. We went through this whole linearity, like this progressed this, progressed this, progressed this. So, uh, but Southeast Asia is mobile native. They don't know any other computer. So they literally, it's, they speak a different language technology wise than we do. I still want a keyboard because (laughs) I, that I learned how to type QWERTY, right? Right. Uh, Is Brazil, that sort of, uh, that sort of, they just skipped straight to mobile as an emerging economy. Uh, And is that something that EduSync looks towards? Interesting question. So, by and large, the answer is yes. I think um, most middle-class families will have a laptop, mm-hmm. but it's shared amongst the whole family if, if they have one. However, everyone has an Android device. Yeah. Um, you know, Android devices are, are extremely widespread there. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there are as many cell phones as there are people in the country. Right. Um, so, and yes, we are actually considering this. This is one of the main modes of interaction we have with our students. So we, everything that we build online we also build for the web or for the phone. So we, we actually call ourselves mobile first. The first thing we did was actually build an Android app before we even went to the web. Um, we just noticed that students who are studying for this test are often using computers just because it's a lot easier and a lot of the tests are actually done on the computer. That being said, we have students in Afghanistan who will submit speaking simulations on their cell phone. You can actually hear them on the bus or in a restaurant and they're doing you know, a TOEFL simulation on their cell phone. So, and usage is, is skyrockets when it's on the phone because for commutes, any dead time waiting in lines, I mean, the entire, the entire nation and not even just the students of ours in Brazil, but around the world are all on the mobile device. And interestingly enough, from an entrepreneurial perspective, having them download on their mobile device first and use the app actually leads to higher conversions than, than just using the web platform straight off. Got it. So a lot of them will start for free on the phone and then find out we have a web app and transition to the web and then say, this is definitely worth buying. Got it, got it. Uh, yeah, because I can only imagine, you know, the, the challenges it must be to get, you know, web time, yeah. be it at a cafe or, you know, maybe borrowing someone's tablet. But, other, but if you start mobile... Yeah, you can get the whole the whole world. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, and so you mentioned some of the other uh, 200, 209 countries. Two hundred and three. Two hundred three. Wait, aren't there only two hundred three countries? <laughs> so I looked this up, um, and I, you can even see on the Google map. There's um, one hundred ninety six United Nations recognized countries. Exactly. That's uh, what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, so Monaco, you're out. <laughs> Everyone speaks my English in Monaco anyway. Um, it, so so while you're Brazil led and Brazil based. You see everywhere as the market, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, when I started this, um, the original idea was really only focused on Brazil. Right. And then um, over the course of time, we started getting a lot of students just coming, because we put it up on the Android Play Store, Google Play Store. We shot to number one in Brazil when you put the word TOEFL into the Play Store. And so I guess that translated well in other countries, right? Because all the uh, mobile app stores are localized. Right. Right. So we then started seeing students from Indonesia, which is actually the number two country in terms of users. India is also huge. 
Um, and then that whole, that whole ASEAN region really became, uh, I mean, it became apparent to us that there was an enormous market there, you know, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, Singapore. So we really started focusing on, on there in terms of our B2B deployment. So, um, I've actually cold called dozens of, uh, Vietnamese universities, which hasn't really worked, but, uh, (laughs) you know, we're trying to now move in that direction over there just because of, the size of the market and the, the fit in terms of the business model with how they do their courses. Well, you also just said B2B, and then you mentioned a university, but what about true B2B? Like, why not contact, uh, why not work with, you know, larger size companies that are still regional and not, say, global and multinational and offer it as, like, a platform for internal training or something like that? Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, you literally read my mind. This is exactly the direction that we're going in. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> So it didn't it didn't start in this way. Right. You know, we were really just focused on the English schools. And then it became apparent that universities were also a market. They all, of course, is focused on these tests, especially in certain regions around the world. But the most interesting and lucrative market by far is the true B2B, is the corporate market. Right. Um, in Brazil specifically, um, Ernst & Young is a great example of this. Uh, I had a friend who was working there from Spain, and he told me that if he took a certain English test that they would pay for him, that they would, uh, you know, they would buy the test for him to take, I think it was around $100 for this specific test. If he did well enough on it, he would get a thousand real salary increase every month. So it virtually, I mean, I think it was a 25% increase over his existing salary. So, which is significant, obviously. Um, And this is all if you can pass an English proficiency exam. And the company paid for it. So the idea really would be to sell to the companies, have them buy our test instead of this one for a fraction of the price, and get a lot more feedback about the students' uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, we're actually going to be launching a pilot with Starbucks Brazil at the end of this year. In this really? Tell yeah. us more about that. So um, the Starbucks Brazil was just sold off to uh, an American private equity firm. Um, and I know It that- is not owned outright by Starbucks. Correct. So okay. This was a very interesting, I mean, I know the, the guy who purchased them, it, he said it took three years to broker the deal. And um, it's a licensing agreement. So yeah. for every dollar they sell, they kick back 10 Got cents it. to yeah. Starbucks. Um, but interestingly enough, Starbucks Brazil corporate, I think they have around 1,200 employees there. And obviously, they're constantly communicating with the headquarters in Seattle. Yep. So English proficiency is mandatory for anyone who works at a manager level or above, which has a few hundred people a year. And Starbucks actually buys the test for their managers to take. And the test they use is the same one that my buddy at Ernst & Young used. So when I met the founder or the, the owner of Starbucks Brazil in Sao Paulo, we were telling him about this, you know, save him 75% of the money and give him a lot more, make it more efficient. People can do it from home and you get a lot more feedback in terms of what you can see as an organization. And he was like, let's do a pilot and see how it works. Nice. So we should have, I'm hoping between 50 to 100 Starbucks employees actually doing some testing starting probably next month. Uh, or or in December before the end of the year. Congratulations! That sounds like Thanks, a great. Man. That sounds. I hate sounding corporate, but <laughs> great win, bro. <laughs> great. No, it's, it's good. You know, no, that, uh, that's 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 really cool. Oh wait, you just said something that. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh yes. Uh, wow, that really popped at the end of that. <laughs> um, what about? Okay, so you've got each student individually. Um, but what can you learn about learning English in general by looking across all the data produced by every student individually? Like, do certain cultures take to certain facets of English better, or do different languages translate better to learning English? And what can that help 
how can that help you refine uh, your process to, you know, essentially customize English learning per market? Now, this is a fascinating question, and this is, you know, three to five years out. This is the kind of stuff I talk to our potential investors about to really get them excited. But um, you're absolutely right. Every culture learns in a different way. Um, We're gathering data from 203 different countries about usage specifically, right? And while we're not, you know, Facebook and selling data to anybody, um, we're certainly looking at it ourselves internally. And we're going to be actually creating specific products based off of this. Wait, Facebook sells data to people? (laughs) No. So this is actually one of the touch points we have with a lot of schools now. Because um, after the whole GDPR thing uh, came out in Europe... Uh, was, uh, GDPR. This is the new policy around sharing and selling of data that Europe has issued as mandatory. Oh, okay. For all the companies that collect any user data. Right, right, right. Interestingly enough, I mean, for, to sign up on the platform on EdgeSync, you put in your name, email, and a password, and there's nothing else that you put in. So there's not really much information to sell. Although, um, what we're looking at really is usage across the four main skills, right? Reading, listening, speaking, and writing. And uh, obviously, we knew this from the get-go, just from the testing we were doing before we launched, that speaking and writing were the main two skills just because of their difficulty level and the difficulty in having it assessed by someone locally. Um, Also, practicing for reading and listening, almost everyone who's using the platform is exposed to Americana in one way or the other. Um, Movies, music, um, there are numerous instances of students who request us to only give them speaking and writing, or they come on the platform and only use the speaking and writing skills. So... Um, the idea in the future, and uh, this is something that we're still brainstorming exactly how we're going to do this, but we're thinking about doing some kind of uh, competitive platform, gamified a bit, and do mm-hmm. uh, you know either group battles or one-on-one battles with students from around the world, and they face off and challenge each other in different skills. So um, we can then pit people who are only focused on reading against other people who are focused only on reading, and give them questions, time it, give them you know some kind of. Uh, currency or something within the within the actual ecosystem of the app to show that they're quote unquote better than the other person. So um, the interesting thing about collecting all this data too is that we're really able to market the product correctly in these different markets. So you know we have over a hundred thousand students and for the students who we know are focused on speaking and writing, we'll send weekly discounts to them saying we know you're like we know you're focused on speaking make sure you get a good score. Here's a 30% discount. Mm-hmm. So it helps in a lot of different ways. And we're still kind of kicking around how we're going to go about this in the future, but it's definitely something that's, that's on top of my mind. Yeah. That's, and that allows you to better cater the product per absolutely. Each. Yeah. Um, wait, you just said something in there and I forgot what it was. Gamified. Yeah. 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 Gamification. Isn't that a little exploitative? It is a little bit. Okay, um, okay. Just yeah. <laughs> this is something though that I've seen in, in educational apps. This has become a big ticket item. Yeah, um, just to kind of keep generate interest and keep them on the platform. One of the problems we have is that when a student takes the test, they're done. Right? There's no continuous language learning that comes afterwards. Right. People will use it now and then just to kind of stay familiar, but most of them will just use it to pass their exam and then they're done. So right. adding in this gamification layer and these kinds of other products where you pit people against each other, uh, you know, I'm taking a page out of a dozen other companies' books in, in this kind of way of thinking. Right. But yeah, we were even... Okay, well, that doesn't sound as uh, shady Expl- per se. <laughs> yeah, because if, if, if it allows a continual growth process... That's the idea, I, yeah. I think that's... I think, I think you got to pass on that one, yeah. not to editorialize. Right. Uh, also, once it comes out, uh, there's a couple uh, 
couple, um, how do I say this? Couple dozen million Americans. I'd like to see how they do vis-a-vis yeah. another, like, <laughs> or or it would be great to pit the Australians, Canadians, New Zealanders, sure. British, Scottish, yep. uh, English, Scottish, Irish, and Americans in, uh, against one another, and uh, and see who comes out best at the knowledge of English. Uh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I like the, the country, the country battles. Oh yeah. Well, I'm 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 going for uh, I'm going for Team Scotland. Yes. I think. <laughs> now this is actually funny. Just a little anecdote here when we were starting this whole process i actually sat and took a toefl exam in brazil and the test is out of 120 i worked at forbes for a year so i'm i like to think of myself as uh eloquent with the english language right and uh i got a 111 out of 120 on the test that's good it's good yeah then we hired an intern from brazil a kid named gabriel gabriel in sao paulo um he ended up going to yale and he's doing something phenomenal now at, at a tech company but um, he got a 118 out of 120 on the test. Right. And we only spoke in Portuguese while he was interning for us, uh, but his English was clearly very good. And uh, one thing I like to reiterate when I'm talking about the product, uh, it's unfortunate that globally speaking, these tests have such a heavy weight. And you know we judge people based on these standardized exams, whether it's for a job or for academics. But that is the way of the world. And while that is currently the way of the world, it's better to be prepared than not be. So Gabrielle's example is a great example of how he can, you know, use the platform, use and abuse the platform to make sure he got a, a super high score and it helped him get into Yale. So he likes to, he credits us with, or credits me personally, because we weren't really, we didn't really have an oper- operation at this point. Um, but he credits me with his success in his career. So I'm hoping we can poach him back from whatever tech company he's at. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then it comes full circle. Yeah. Um, so what, what's the future of EduSync in these, in these emerging markets? How do you, uh, how do you go out and, uh, what can you tell the fellow entrepreneurs on, on how to go out and, you know, get in there and get boots on the ground? Yeah, this is, uh, this is an everyday challenge. I mean, um, I like to say that the CEO's job of the company is to sell the dream, right? So, uh, you know, luckily I have a team, even though we're a small team, um, I have a team of guys who are dedicated and are smarter than me in a lot of ways. Um, whether it's about paying more attention to the client, you know, I respond to every single client email personally, especially from end users. So it's a big thing I picked up from, uh, I guess, reading about some of the bigger companies you hear about, um, like the Airbnb and founders, for instance, they, uh, they spent, I think it was Airbnb or uh, Pinterest. It was Pinterest. He spent he, he the initial client base of thirty thousand or forty thousand that they had. They were mostly mothers, and he would actually individually thank every single one of them after about a week's time for using the platform. And because of this, they got this reputation of being very client uh, client focused and very responsive for the users. And this, you know, obviously uh, paved the way for them to become a multi billion dollar company as they grew. So. For anyone looking to kind of dive in, you know, it's it's really just about perseverance. You know, we haven't. The irony being that we're revenue generating now and uh, you know fundraising, and I wouldn't even consider the fact that we've made it yet. You know, we're still in the process of making it. But this is also something I've learned is that uh, there's always another milestone. There's always somewhere else to go. So when we were first developing, it was get the product done, get certain aspects of the product done until you can launch the whole thing. Then you get users. Then you start generating revenue. Then you have to get B two B clients. Then you raise money. So it's an it's a never ending uphill battle. But uh, the key is to just take the small victories. You know this this thing with Starbucks obviously uh, was cause for celebration. 
any client that we currently close is also cause for celebration. So, you know, I'll treat the guys to pizza once a week and, you know, beers maybe three times a week just to keep everyone. (laughs) (laughs) At least least you got the priorities in check. (laughs) Exactly. But, um, but no, I mean the, the process it's, it's eternal, an eternal learning process, you know? So, um, we're still growing. I'm still learning. Um, I'm the first person to say, I don't know, uh, what I don't know. So I always appreciate talking to other people about entrepreneurship in general or their experiences. And I think from my experience, it's really just a matter of adapting and surviving. You know, we've been at this for uh, a little over three years now. We spent two years in development. um, And that was uh, a painful process where everyone was just waiting for us to launch the product and see what happened. And then as soon as we launched, it became the next milestone of now we have to go out and increase revs and make money. Step by step. Step by step. Wow. Well, Sean Kilichin, this has been what a delight for friends, uh, for the listeners, obviously, uh, uh, you're probably an English speaker, <laughs> but for friends and relatives who are not, sure, you should go to edusync.com Absolutely. and uh, take, it for, take it for a spin and, and tell, your, tell your friends and loved ones, if they need a little brush up on their English, uh, please go and do it. Sean, what a pleasure talking with you. This has been a great afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Austin. I really appreciate it. Great. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.